Hello, everybody. My name is Ailish Forfar, and I am the producer of The Dream Gap. Thank you so much for coming. This is more than we had expected and imagined, so we are already a success. So that's it for tonight. Thank you so much. Um, anyway, so I want to introduce you to our amazing team that I've been so grateful to work with for the last couple months. Um, just a quick side note, this is a project for our fourth year practicum at Ryerson. I'm still in school, and then almost is over, but these six other people I'm going to introduce you to have been so instrumental in this documentary, so I want to make sure that they get acknowledged early on so you guys know their faces were so important because you're gonna hear from me all night so you're gonna be sick of me so come on out guys this is top line productions good looking crew Woo! you stand wherever you want okay oh yeah bunch of beauties so this is Cameron Kern oh oh wait I didn't get that much applause, so I'm upset. This is Cameron. She's our amazing video editor, shooter, literally anything she's done. You're going to see amazing cinematography, and she's done it all. Um, with the help of Will, who's beside her. Will is our director of photography. I don't know if that's a real saying. I don't know what that means, but it's something important, and he's done a great job at it. But yes, Please clap. Good job, guys. So we have Sarah and Laura beside them who have put on this amazing event tonight. They're event coordinators, our social, everything that you've seen, they've helped do up to tonight. And tonight is already a success because you're all here, so thank you. And this guy, we, I don't know him. Um, he stumbled upon us. His name's Max. He, he's so weird, but we love him. Um, he basically just gets us food whenever we need it and he helps us coordinate like annoying things that I don't want to do. So we love Max for that. So thank you guys so much. Um, so as we said, this is our fourth year practicum project at Ryerson. So I am really grateful that these guys wanted to do a project that's really close to home for me. So I'm a part of the PWHPA. Played one year in the CWHL. Yeah, Woo. one goal. Uh, not a big deal. Um, so when we had the chance to choose what we wanted to do for our practicum, I'm so grateful that they wanted to choose something that really meant a lot to me as a producer. So thank you guys for putting up with me. You are sweating, Will. <laughs> it's not that hot. Um, quick story, one of us, I just want to tell you about how great we've worked together as a team, except for this one incident. We had to drive to Chicago to film the PWHPA Showcase Center, which was amazing, and one of these folks, I'm going to distance myself, put diesel in our rental car. Lindsay Allen rented it to me. Enterprise, thank you. I didn't tell you this when I returned it, but one of these fine folks put diesel in the car by accident. It was not a diesel car. I hope you didn't notice that. You didn't charge me more. We don't know who it was. It was fine. I called my dad at 1 a.m. in Chicago, like, Dad, what the heck? And he's like, just put regular gas in it. You're fine. So thank you, Dad. Um, it was just awful. Uh, anyways, that's, we've gone through the ups and downs, clearly. A lot of downs where I was just like going to strangle everybody. But we're here. We have an amazing night planned for you. We have some amazing panelists who you're going to hear from. And our world premiere of The Dream Gap. Get excited. So we're going to get rid of you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, out you go. And we're going to introduce our first panel. So this is an industry-type panel, so um, it's okay if it's your first time ever hearing about women's hockey, ever supporting women's hockey, because that means today you're going to learn a lot. Um, we've handpicked these incredible panelists 
Two of them are doctors, one has an MBA, and I have two cool undergrads, so I'm gonna be the dumbest person on stage, which is great, um, good for my ego. So they're gonna come out and introduce themselves and tell you why they're passionate about women's hockey and what they've done in their incredible careers. And we're gonna share a little bit about the industry side of where women's hockey is and where we can go. So guys, come on out, please. I'm lonely out here. Thank you, awesome. Waters for you, too. Lovely. Okay, so I'm beside Donna Gall, who actually listened to our practicum pitch our first day at Ryerson. Um, so we have to pitch this to get approved. Thank God we got approved. John, where are you? Thank you. Um, so we had to pitch this to a group of analysts and panelists, and everybody had to kind of sell themselves on their idea. Donna was there, and we made it, clearly, so I want to introduce you, but I think it speaks for yourself. If you introduce yourself, because this list of paper of all your accolades, like, it's boring if I read it, so please go ahead. Let's hope it's not boring when I say it. No. Um, yeah, so my name is Donna Gall, and I, um, I uh, just uh, graduated uh, with my doctorate from Ryerson, um, from Communication and Culture, uh, and I did my, um, I did my dissertation. Um, I, I conducted an audience reception study for women's hockey uh, with an online survey and a series of focus groups asking the question um, that had actually been posed in a documentary I made uh, in 2015 called Playfair. Award-winning documentary. <laughs> it's uh, available at playfair.tv if you want to watch it. Um, anyways, uh, I'd had, you know, I interviewed um, uh, a number of people involved in um, uh, women in sport in Canada, including a lot of women who are involved in women's hockey, and there's that sort of tone of their voice, like, why don't they watch us? They watch us during the Olympics. What happens to them? So I dedicated my doctoral research to trying to find that answer out. Um, but then I was remembering that my first introduction to women's hockey was actually back in 2010 when I worked on a show called What's in a Name for History Television. And we um, helped, I think it was the Toronto Furies, find a name. Arkham like we, Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I like so the Furies that's too. My, that's my association here. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. And beside you, Dar, Dar, whoa, Dr. Courtney Sito. I've been practicing that and of course I screwed it up. Sorry. Uh, thanks for having me tonight. Um, so yeah, I'm an assistant professor uh, in kinesiology and health studies at Queen's University. I've been doing sport and social justice research for about 10 years now. Um, my doctoral research focused on racism and hockey. Uh, right now I'm working more on women's hockey, writing a paper with a few of the players and Katrina as well. Um, trying to capture this moment of both tension and hope is, is kind of the goal of the paper. Um, I'm the senior editor for Hockey and Society, hockeyandsociety.com, check it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've been a hockey fan uh, ever since I was a kid, women's and men's, but um, my investment in the game really took off, I would say, uh, this summer, two summers ago, when I went to Mary Philip and uh, Car Carolyn Ouellette's adult hockey camp in Montreal, um, and their coaching staff just treated my team with the utmost respect, and we had the best time, and since then with uh, Kristen Richards and Megan Bozek as well, so it's quite simple. If you take care of my family, I'm going to take care of yours. Um, so I... I can honestly say my dedication to the cause at this point would not be the same without uh, interacting with these players. So that is why I'm here today. So lovely. Give everyone a round of applause. And then we have Katrina Gallus, who was 
mostly I knew her from the Toronto Furies, helping out as an assistant GM last year. But I know you more for now what you're doing and like kind of the business aspects. So please introduce yourself. Thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations to Ailish and your entire team for being courageous to actually pull this off. Because I remember talking to you at the very first PWHPA game. And you're like, well, we're just trying to capture as much as we can. And hopefully it kind of leads to a great story. And it's just so wonderful that you're able to share it here today with everybody. So more people like you out there. Um, um, for myself, I, uh, my first experience was actually playing the game, so I learned how to play hockey at the Swansea Girls Hockey League, which actually has its 50th anniversary this weekend, outdoor league, and, um, and ever since then, uh, that was my focus, and I played at Queen's University and realized that, that there wasn't necessarily a pathway forward uh, for me as a player because the CWHL didn't exist at that point. And so I flipped into business mode and uh, ended up working for the Olympic Games. Uh, the first games I ever went to were the Trino Games and actually went to the women's hockey final. And then I was just blown away by um, what was possible with the women's game and then just kind of dove deeper into it throughout my business career. Um, have had a chance to work in the beer industry at Nike, um, uh, most recently with the Furies, as you mentioned, in the research world. So kind of all over uh, the industry and hoping to connect the dots between some of those experiences to help advance the game however I can. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. Yes. I guess my first kind of open-ended question is we're going to see, and a lot of you maybe had the opportunity today to see some of the games in Toronto. If you haven't, there's some tomorrow. The PWHPA is playing some showcase games. We know the talent is incredible. We know the girls here have put in more effort than we can imagine. Um, the talent and the players are at their peak. Why are we not seeing the same in terms of media coverage, sponsorship, broadcasts, and like that's a very open-ended question, but I know each of you have kind of researched that in a different situation, and maybe you can touch on it in your own realms, like where are we falling short, who's, who's responsible for helping grow women's hockey, whoever wants to go first. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try. Um, so, uh, you know, I was a doctoral student, and I, and I, I issued this uh, online survey, and I just mean to describe it as a sort of smallish project. And I got a thousand, uh, yeah, close to a thousand respondents to my online survey, and I had 95 people um, volunteer to be part of my focus groups. And, and that's, I think, a pretty healthy uh, response, which to me immediately indicated that there were a lot of people really interested in women's hockey. And so some of the results from, from that research really showed that, you know, like 98% of people, you know, agreed with the idea that women should play hockey. Um, 78%, I'm making them up, I wrote them down, but I'm making them up, uh, they're around that, um, agreed that, you know, people should watch women play hockey. As many said that they're interested in women's playing, uh, watching women play hockey. Um, but just over half had ever watched a professional game. Um, and this, so I, I knew I was going into an area of people who were already interested in women's hockey. In fact, that was the prerequisite. You had to watch an Olympic game. Um, and yet still, despite the interest, there, the, the sort of connection to actually watching the game uh, wasn't there. And the um, answer to the question of why or why not uh, was inevitably, well, we don't know when the games are. We don't know where the games are. Um, 
And it was very kind of clear to me that, you know, broadcasters talk about a sort of chicken and egg argument that they won't make the investment in the broadcast of a game unless they know the audience is there. And uh, advocates will say, well, you have to make the investment in order to grow the audience. And so I kind of have this little thing. I say I'm killing the chicken. Um, although maybe I should say I'm breaking the egg. It's a little less violent. But... Um, <laughs> But, but basically, like, here's an interested audience dying to become, you know, to be created um, for, for women's hockey. Um, and I think about the fact that the CBC spent decades creating the audience for men's professional hockey. Um, it didn't just come out of nowhere. They didn't just stumble upon them, that it's actually um, constructed. And I refer to an article written by Scott Stinson in the National Post where he talks about how the audience for junior men's hockey, you know, was constructed by the guys in the booth. It was the guys in the booth who said, like, people have got to watch this and let, like, let's make this a big deal. And they did. And so for me, it's about broadcaster investment. It is about like really um, putting it in there. And I, I, I don't know if anybody's here from the CBC. Maybe I'll never get a job there again. But if you're going to spend all that money on Family Feud, uh, maybe you should be spending that money on creating, um, you know, the audience for what we've all, you know, what has been um, sold to us as our national game that excludes half our population. And so as part of the Broadcasting Act, they have a, an obligation to, um, to help to make that happen. Retweet, retweet. So, <laughs> Courtney, you had your master's, actually, I was interested in talking about because it examines, like, what corporate social responsibility is for sports. I mean, I probably dumbed it down a lot, but maybe you can kind of touch on, like, do corporations have some sort of need to support women's sports? Don't even put hockey, just, like, women's sports. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely, they do. Um, but... I'd like to take yours and actually pivot away from Please businesses, do. and I'll leave that to Katrina, um, because I've uh, I've called out the media a number of times for their lack of coverage, but tonight I'd like to throw the academy under the bus, um, because there was women's hockey research going on in the 1990s uh, up until the early 2000s. So we've got. Um, Nancy Thaberge, Julie Stevenson, and um, Carly Adams, who were keeping women's hockey as a discussion point. It was um, putting it on the table as something worthy to research and worthy to, to talk about. And then there's nothing from 2002 to 2017 uh, when Cheryl McDonald, John, John Edwards, and myself write a chapter about the Women's Winter Classic. Um, and we wrote it because it wasn't covered on TV. It was supposed to be this historic game and there was no coverage for it. So we wrote that chapter specifically to make sure that that piece of history did not get lost, both the good aspects and the bad aspects of that, of that event. Um, and then recently I found an article that came out from some university in Texas, of all places, um, about Kunlun, Red Star, and Chinese development, but really not about the CWHL. So basically for the entire duration of the league, there was no research coming out talking about the inequities that the players were facing. Um, so if media and the academy, if their job is to educate and inform the general populace about what's going on in the world and what discussions we need to be having, then we absolutely failed you. Um, so I think that that's something that, for my industry, uh, my institution, we need to, to do a much better job of. So, Noxie, that uh, picture book thesis, if you're still up for it, I think we definitely need it. And we'll hear from the players after kind of to 
to bounce on what you're saying. Like they have wants and needs and maybe they're not being heard. So maybe the two of you, all these panels can kind of leave us with a lasting impact of what the players and what professionals need to do to help women's hockey grow. And we're hoping to have that at the end of the night. So stay tuned. And Katrina, if you want to add on to that. Yeah, sure. I can kind of add on to both of those actually. Um, with regards to the viewership and the sort of broadcast conundrum that's out there, um, I think a big philosophy to think about is um, understanding the assets that you have and leveraging them. Um, that is consistent with uh, the sport product industry, the broadcast industry, sort of across the board, you start with your strongest assets and, and kind of build off of that. You mentioned that the talent's at its peak, I completely agree. Um, and of course, unfortunately, there's been um, sad news in the industry with David Stern passing away, but I think it has brought light to his ability to believe in the women's game in a way that uh, very few others have done and really just invested in it wholeheartedly to um, focus on the asset that it is to help it grow over time. And, and I think that's what's required um, right now. We have the right assets in place, but, but where are the levers that are out there in the industry that we can um, work on collaboratively? And I think that's sort of the second point is, how do we come together? Um, rather than be sort of fragmented sport industry, how can we all work collaboratively together to make sure that all the efforts and limited resources that are out there are working hand in hand to elevate the sport versus trying to do it on their own? Um, I can point to one interesting example that sort of got my um, mind thinking when I spent some time in the broadcast industry, uh, and it relates to soccer. Um, at the time, the company I was at did a four-page center spread on Christine Sinclair. It's amazing. Leading into the Women's World Cup, uh, spent a lot of time with her, and uh, when, when it came time to promote that magazine, which was featuring her on the cover... Um, the leadership there sort of said, well, we can't, we can't promote that because then people will go watch it on the other network. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, is that, is that how it works? So um, it's not that it's not worthy. It's that it's so fragmented that the energy is being put behind... Um, managing expectations internally versus actually elevating the entire sport uh, collectively. Of course, there's, you know, there's always rights that come into play, but I think they, that's only a hurdle. Um, and then with regards to some of the things you talked about, um, I think education is such an important piece of the puzzle. Um, and Ailish, you mentioned it earlier just today uh, in the green room, that how can we as a collective um, fan base really help educate each other on what's needed and what's going on, what the real issues are. I've seen a lot of petitions out there, uh, you know, why weren't the under 18 shown on, on television? Why didn't, you know, why didn't TSN pick them up? And it's a little bit more complicated than that in that the, um, there wasn't a host broadcast feed, so they couldn't pick them up because it wasn't available. And so I think part of maybe all of our jobs is to really use this time uh, to work together to really help educate the fans so that they can sort of be armed with the right information to help move things forward. 
Definitely, and I think a question for all of you is, there might be fans here that are new. There might be fans that are super passionate, go hard, have all our jerseys on the wall. But like, how do we pull in that group of people that often love to say that women's hockey is never going to make money, women's hockey is not worth watching? Like, oh, I'm just not going to invest in it. Like, I see that all the time. I'm a huge Twitter girl. I watch all the feeds on everything the PWHPA posts, everything the NWHA posts, NWHL posts, every woman's hockey feed has people that respond immediately saying, it's not worth it. Like, we're never going to make money off of it. The girls are good, but, like, it's not men's hockey. Like, how do we pull those people in and say, just give us a chance? Like, let's show you this talent. Like, is it only Kendall Coyne being at the NHL All-Star Game to do a lap and blow everybody's mind, and that's the only thing we talk about? Like, that was amazing, but there's so much more. So what is it that we can do, maybe as fans, maybe as people that work here that have business colleagues that can invest or can just talk about it at the lunch table and be like, hey, I went to this amazing thing on the weekend. Did you know the PWHPA was here? Like, maybe some, like, tangible things that these people that are here can do. Well, I think it's just that. You know, one of the things that I was hearing from my respondents and my participants was how often what they hear about in the media about women's hockey is all the problems with women's hockey. Um, you know, the, the players aren't getting paid, you know, and that sort of, very rarely do they hear the news about the game. You know, very rarely are they, are they hearing the sense of excitement that, that, that comes from watching the game and that it packs as much of an emotional punch as, as anything else. Um, and um, the other thing I, I, I sort of noticed with the way that the game was framed in a way by my participants, I kept noticing this way of referring to the women's game as kind of pure, um, kind of like hockey as it used to be, and talking a lot about the sort of the skill-based and uh, all of which is true, don't get me wrong, but I think um, that sort of calls on these old notions of femininity um, and, again, kind of neglects to sort of talk about how, like, it's it, it does, you don't want it to be something that you're supposed to watch because you're like, you're, you, know, you support women, so you're going to watch. It shouldn't be a job. It should be um, exciting. And, and one um, quote I read from Deirdre Norman in an article, I loved it. She said, like, women's hockey's not a bake sale. You know, like, it's good, it's good hockey. It's good sport. And I think if there's one thing to think about how, how to talk about women's hockey, it's to always be talking about. Like, it's a really exciting, fast, um, you know, uh, gut gut-wrenching game, you know? I think that's why people watch hockey. Um, yeah, I mean, I think word of mouth is actually working quite well, and I think it is a grassroots movement at this point going with the barnstorming tour. It's, it's interesting um, to hear what people say in the locker room about what they think the Dream Get Tour is and what the purpose of it was. So the game was in Kingston last weekend, and then I heard my team talking about it. And no one person in the room necessarily had the full story, but everybody had a bit of it. And by the time that they had done, they were finished discussing, they actually had a pretty good, accurate representation of, of the point of uh, the PWHPA and, and the tour. Um, and they were super excited about it. So I think um, the touring is definitely definitely making a difference and it's getting a lot of people who um, wouldn't necessarily follow to into the seats so um, I took a friend today who's never she went to the all-star game she doesn't really follow women's hockey but by the time we left she had a favorite team it was team Dau, and her favorite player was Rebecca Johnson um, so it didn't necessarily match up but it definitely 
she liked her skating. Um, but yeah, I think it, it is slowly working. It just kind of depends on how much time are we willing to wait, um, and is somebody going to step in to kind of grab all this energy that we're building up right now? Yeah, and just to build on that, I think part of it, I mean, you mentioned you had a study and you had a 1,000 people participate. I think that's amazing, and I think that research is a gap right now. Um, so the more that people can participate when there is an organization doing some type of research, the better, because then we're going to have more factual information to be able to integrate to these conversations. Um, you know, I think there's quotes out there that um, women's hockey is growing at so many times um, faster pace than men's hockey, but, but where is that actual data point? Like, we want to use it, but it's hard to actually track down. And so I think maybe... Um, being proactive to try to uncover where that research lives and incorporating it in media stories and um, pitch decks and all these other things uh, would really help to validate the strength. And to your point, it's not, it's not the right thing to do. It's actually, it makes business sense. And I think that goes back to, um, you know, the way that, it's funny, we had a conversation as, as, as the Toronto Furies, and we said, okay, you know, how can we work together with this particular partner? And they said, well, we just want to help you. Um, we'll give you whatever we can. And so I said, okay, but, but we need you to value our team. Like, it's nice that you want to help and give us things, but, but I think ultimately we're bringing value to your organization. We've got world-class players that you want to use in your you know, on ice clinics or whatever they might be. Um, and so they are worthy of an investment um, to actually participate in the things that you would like them to help you with. So I think that kind of moves the needle a little bit from going from that um, nice to have, nice to support to, oh, this is a valuable asset that we actually have the ability, that first mover advantage ability to leverage um, to drive our business forward. Awesome. So just so everybody knows, we're going to have a, some time for audience questions. So start thinking if you have anything to ask these. Oh, I wanted to add one thing. Oh, the, other, the other thing, too, is um, it's funny. There's a lot of comments about inspiring the next generation and kids and being able to see players on the ice. And I saw a couple of letters lately. Um, one was actually for the WNBA, but um, a, a young girl writing to the Ellen Show to say... Um, why can't I find a WNBA jersey? Like, I love this team. I traveled all the way to New York. I went to the store. I went there just to get the jersey, and they're not selling the jersey. Um, so she wrote to the Ellen Show, and, you know, I think it's even inspiring uh, people to write a note like that and hopefully have an impact at an individual level because of their um, interest and, and observation of the gap that exists. I'll ask you, oh, sorry. So I was just going to say, you use your close. children wisely. Sorry, one more time? Use your children wisely. That's right. They're smart minds. I'll ask you guys one more question before we open it up to any panel questions. Um, are there any existing agencies or leagues or sports that you think are doing a great job at having their women's athlete professionals being seen at a good level? Is it tennis? Is it soccer? Is that not anything that you see that is doing well and being successful? Is there anything that the PWHPA can maybe kind of frame themselves? I mean, a lot of people say the WNBA could be a good framework for the PWHPA. I'm just curious, like, you know, financially or using the existing leagues that may be there, is that something you see maybe being a positive route for the PWHPA? It's a tough one. 
you on the spot? Me to start? Sure. Uh, well, I think there are pieces out there that can be drawn upon for this scenario. Um, I was just actually reading an article in Sports Business Journal this morning about um, Val Ackerman and how David Stern involved her every step of the way uh, from the day the league started in 97 right up until um, when he retired. And so I think her being pulled into every conversation within the NBA structure and all the partner conversations and summits that they had, I think that really helped to show the integration. So I'm not sure that it's all about financial um, support without having full integration and belief in in working together and collaborating. I think one without the other is uh, you're leaving something on the table. Um, and then when you look at, obviously with Billie Jean King and all the great things that she's done for uh, women's tennis, I remember hearing her speak at the ESPNW conference many years ago, and she said all it took to kind of pass that tipping point for women's tennis at that time uh, was one sponsor going all in and actually helping them get over the tipping point to become... Um, you know, that first stage of growth in world team tennis. And, um, you know, that sponsor at the time was Virginia Slims, and she admits, she's like, it's not the best product. You know, we didn't endorse the product, but they believed so strongly in what we stood for that the depth of investment that they made was all that was needed at that point, and off they went to sort of now create this level of... Um, Aspiration, I think, for a lot of other sports. Um, tennis is leading track and field. A lot of events are combined. Uh, world rugby, I was working the World Rugby Sevens, and they actually combined the World Cups, and they alternated um, sessions of men's games and women's games, so that when you bought a ticket, you were, you were seeing both. Um, and the broadcasters were then broadcasting both, which is great. So I think there's a lot of examples around the world that are great to draw upon, and you know, part of it is working together um, as industry and players and stakeholders to, um, to really pull them together, elevate them, share them, and then draw upon pieces that maybe would be helpful for this scenario. Yeah, so I think something that's important to understand is we have this ironic situation where we say, well, hockey is Canada's national pastime. Why are women so far behind in the everyday um, aspect of the game? And I think the answer is actually because it is our national pastime, that is that explains actually the huge gender discrepancy. Um, because nationalism is this area that's reserved for men, basically, to, to represent the nation. And if we look at sports like baseball in America, there's basically no women's professional baseball league to speak of because that is reserved for men. Um, Brazil would be another good example where soccer is the national pastime and women were legally banned from playing soccer for 30 years because it was too frightening to have women in that space. So I think... Be, that aspect of it is really important for us to understand moving forward, and that might be why. And I would love for the NHL to step in, but if they do not, I think whatever is going to come of it is going to be different from anything that else that we've seen with the WNBA and what have you. So like Katrina was saying, I think we have to pull from different areas to kind of make up for that uh, resistance that we're feeling. Yeah, I think um, this idea of a champion uh, in my in my film, um, an activist named Marion Lay, she talks about that, that this idea that so often 
women's sport is required a kind of champion, someone who goes all in and, and pushes it up. And of course, the downside of that is that when your champion retires or goes away, it can all fall apart. So to me, it would be about, um, you know, I'm talking about this sort of audience idea this of a broadcast audience at a time when fewer and fewer and fewer people are actually watching television. But the truth is you can't really beat it for launching into a national consciousness faster than a than a, than a national broadcast and, and trying to build viewers to an online streaming service, as everybody knows, is is super difficult. So I go back to the idea of our national broadcaster, um, you know, maybe not being forced, but certainly um, uh, being pitched to this idea that this is like an awesome opportunity for them to dig in and become not a person, but an institution being the champion of this. And, and, and like better than Virginia Slims, um, pushing it over the edge. And I, and I often wonder, too, if, I mean, obviously there's a big momentum right now with women's sport and advocacy and a lot of very strong voices out there that are very articulate, which is really nice to see and, and learn from and jump on board with. Um, and so on one sort of stream, it's important to um, be a part of that conversation and join the momentum and add... Um, you know, another perspective from another sport or another country to that global conversation. I think that's really important. But then at the same time, um, you know, you could argue that maybe this is not necessarily a gender problem. It's a business problem. And how can we look at it as a business problem to be more innovative in the way that we solve it as a business problem? And, um, you know, like all startups, they get to sort of that... um, and MVP, so minimum viable product, and, and then they build from there, but that takes investment in different stages and iterations and learning from that first phase to build for the next phase. So capturing learnings along the way is so critical to, to really growing a business. So I think this is a similar scenario in that um, it's reached now another phase of development, and how can, how can maybe it be reframed as an as a innovative business problem to be solved um, so that it it does create value for other organizations. I think we have time for one or two quick questions for our panelists. If anybody would like to raise their hand, if not, oh, that's my mother. (laughs) Don't say anything embarrassing. (laughs) Hi, Mom. And I hope I don't embarrass you. uh, Don't stand up. Sit down. No, stand up. It's fine. Okay, get a photo of her. Sure. I was just sitting here thinking about um, Tim Hortons, and I was thinking about that commercial with um, with um, Wayne Gretzky getting that uh, autograph. And I thought, you know what? I took you to uh, a hockey camp, and you got Becky Keller's. um, autograph, and we have Laura and Marie that could ride a Zamboni. Why do we need so uh, cool. Tim Hort? Why do we need uh, Sydney and that other guy? What's his name? <laughs> that other guy from Nova Scotia. Yeah, Nathan uh, McKinnon. Dorothy. You're but, good. You know, here's Tim. No, no, but here's Tim Horns are trying to do something all Canadian now because their market share is. Uh, you know, gone down and their coffee sucks. But I, I don't like their coffee. But oh boy. <laughs> Never mind. Take the mic. But, no, really. That, 
you know, put your money where your mouth is. Eh? Oh, Have a bunch of girls when the, you show those little Tim bits uh, skating on the That's ice right. and, and support women's hockey. You know, Anyone from Tim Hortons here? Let's go. It's my lovely mother. Why isn't your mom on the panel? Pardon? Get my mom, mom on, on the panel. panel. Come on, we up, need mom. Chair up here? Oh, goodness. Uh, that wasn't really a question, so thank you. Well, it was a statement. It, just it to add a question. No, let's get it trending. I think it's a great point. And obviously, Puen's on a cup, which is great. And so that's a great step forward for Tim Hortons. Um, I think also, um, I remember when um, one of the banks had a commercial of showing sort of the Toronto landscape. And we're watching, and we're like, oh... We must have just forgot to send the Furies jersey through for that for that shoot, you know. Um, that must be why it wasn't included. So I think that you're, it's a really great point that I think, uh, hopefully, conversations like this and the showcase tours can help remind partners that um, when they do uh, promote, that they can find a balanced way to do it. I I thought there was a question in there, (laughs) and I thought it was a good one. Just hard on my mom. And and I think it kind of goes back to it goes back to the kind of history of 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 sport media, and how you know um, back in the 1920s, what they call the golden age of women in sport, where uh, more people were going to see women play professional baseball. Uh, at a time than they were, um, you know, seeing the men play. And then all of a sudden, um, the sort of idea of monetizing the audience, uh, uh, trying to target the spenders uh, in the 1930s and 40s, uh, who were men. And so the whole sort of sport media industry grew up around this idea of associating sport with men as a way to kind of get their money. Um, And so now... then economically, you'd think that, okay, well, now women have their own incomes, and they should, so why aren't they doing that? But it, 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 it's not translating. It's not, they're not, the idea that, that there's this sort of um, valuable audience there of women and people interested in women's sport um, being willing to part with their money uh, as much as anyone else, it just, it sort of hasn't translated through. So it's still those sort of shadows of, of sport as a male domain. Okay, our final question from the Honorable Liz Knox in the front row. Wow. Stand up. My mom did it. Okay, I'll stand. I'll stand. Hi, everybody. Um, my question is for Dr. Sito. Of course, I'll sit down. Okay. Yes, boss. You know, you study intersectionality, and we're very early on in this movement, but we've already faced a lot of criticisms of, you know, how do we become a truly inclusive um, incorporation and make sure that we represent women of color and LGBTQ communities. And um, I think for us as hockey players, we've only ever been hockey players. We're not used to being social advocates. So my question to you is, you know, how do we create a space to represent people that have largely been excluded from the hockey community? Yeah, all right, I'll take that one. <laughs> um, great question, Liz. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, I think it's important to understand that while you're trying to accelerate progress here, um, accelerated progress does not affect all women in the same ways, and it's, unless you're very conscious about that. So racialized women, queer women, um, women with disabilities, what have you. So I'm not fully convinced yet that you guys grasp how much power you have at your fingertips uh, in this moment when you create, potentially create something from scratch, but really every decision that you make here on out with showcases and and one-off games, um, 
those are all decisions that you get to decide and bring in and invite people who have been marginalized and sidelined just like you guys have been marginalized and sidelined and to give them opportunity and voice. Um, so it's things like um, land acknowledgements before games, which is the bare minimum for re reconciliation in Canada today, all the way up to actively hiring and finding talent for front office, back office, coaching, scouting. Um, you can't necessarily fix the player pipeline at this point, um, or you can't do it by yourselves, but certainly the organization itself, you can, uh, you have so much power there to create something that will leave men's hockey in the dust. And, and then it's not just for the game. Um, you're making a significant contribution to society, and that would be part of your legacy. So that would be my call to action for you guys if you can um, handle that much work. Um, but if you do it consciously, I think it would work out really well. And from the women that I uh, have had the fortune of getting to know so far, they don't know how to fail. So I have every faith that uh, you guys can run with this one. Well, I think we'll wrap it up on that note. I just want to thank all of you for coming. This has been so incredible. I think everybody got a lot out of this education-wise and just hearing from you guys in terms of what we can do. Like, I think people just say, women's hockey, like, we support, but, like, how are you supporting? And I think we can take a lot of your information away and make tangible changes in our life and, and think of this as a part that we can all play in, in changing the future for that next generation. And I'm, I'm really proud to have you on stage and to be a part of our night. So thank you so much. Thank you.